Today's episode of the Watson Weekly Podcast is sponsored by Commerce Tools. The world of commerce is fast-paced and constantly changing. Commerce Tools, the global leader in commerce and creator of the powerfully composable mock architecture, enables commerce leaders to turn possibilities into reality. Commerce Tools helps businesses go from underperforming to overachieving, and from keeping up to setting the pace, all at a lower total cost. Go to commercetools.com to learn how to get started. It's August 21st, 2023, and this is the Watson Weekly, your essential e-commerce digest. Today on our show, Amazon crushes its Q2 2023 earnings. Target Q2 earnings disappoint. Amazon announces the return of Seller Fulfilled Prime. How I reached 50,000 LinkedIn followers. And finally, the Investor Minute, which contains six items this week from the world of venture capital, acquisitions, and IPOs. But first, in our shopping cart full of news. Amazon crushes its Q2 2023 earnings. It looks to me like Amazon has figured out its path to profitability, and at the same time, AWS has recovered its growth footing. Let's start with AWS. AWS grew 12% year-over-year in a customer cost optimization mode on top of an $80 billion business. Just think about this for a moment and what will happen when the economy accelerates. Just to give you some idea how big an $80 billion revenue business is, it's about 14 times Shopify's $6 billion 2022 revenue total. Is it safe to say at this point that Amazon is a cloud infrastructure company that happens to have a retail business? Not so fast, maybe. In the AI universe, I do believe that Amazon is well-positioned to be one of the winners in the broader AI landscape, particularly in levels where companies cannot compete. In particular, A computing infrastructure, where there are already second-generation custom silicon produced by Amazon, it's used to train models, generate inferences, etc. B, large language models as a service. It takes hundreds of millions of dollars and years to build great general-purpose models. Most customers just want to access a large standard model with their customization without leaking proprietary data. This is what Amazon Bedrock is set up to do today. They will have their own models, of course, but also provide access to all the top models out there as well. And finally, C, applications. Most of the hype, including ChatGPT, is focused here, but it may not necessarily be where most of the money is made. Amazon does have a product called Code Whisperer in here that is actually interesting. Look, in terms of AWS, here's what you need to understand that Amazon understands. The core of AI is data, and Amazon has more data and storage than anyone else on the planet in S3, Dynamo, and other data platforms. I think a lot of people forget this. Andy Jassy correctly points out that people want to bring the models to the data, not the other way around. It's just technologically inefficient. As far as the retail business, doubling their same-day logistics facilities is a big initiative for Amazon. These are relatively cheap to add, they improve buyers' purchase frequency, and they provide lower cost. Each same-day facility can hold 100,000 SKUs and be injected same-day from nearby facilities up to a few million SKUs. Amazon has four times higher same-day volume compared to 2019 now. It seems to me like the company has answered its critics by saying they are far from reaching diminishing returns in delivery speed. 
I do believe that network regionalization will come down to be the best decision they make in the next decade in this business. Buy with Prime also got a mention in the release as the company mentioned that there was a 10x increase in daily orders on Prime Day. As far as their fastest growing business at this point, that's advertising. Revenue was up 22% year over year, and now this is their most profitable business as well. Amazon continues to show investors it's paying attention by clocking in five consecutive quarters of operating margin improvements. Their second quarter operating margin was at 3.9%. On the physical stores business, the company is still not sure if it will find a scalable grocery model. They are experimenting in two markets right now, Illinois and Southern California. They announced they won't scale until they see results, and it sounds like they're still chopping wood here. We did get a checkpoint on Amazon's business B2B opportunity. This is now a $35 billion annualized gross sales business. To wrap up here, it's safe to say that Amazon has a lot going on. It has a few high margin revenue streams that are fast growing in Amazon business, advertising, and AWS. It also has some very large businesses that are regaining profitability and growing slower, which is their main e-commerce and marketplace business. Then it has experiments of which grocery is one of them. Add it all up, and it's not hard to see why Andy Jassy is excited about all of Amazon's opportunities as long as profitability progress continues. Our second story, Target Q2 earnings disappoint. The headline here is that Target got hit in the chin this quarter as they lowered their 2023 guidance due to consumer pressures. This is made worse by the fact that just last quarter, Target reaffirmed its guidance, which means that it may not have a clue what the consumer is doing right now. Last quarter, the company had flat comparable sales growth overall, and in Q2, it declined 5.4%. Why did that happen? Well, we find the answer in the next comment. Target's operating margin rose to 4.8% compared with 1.2% in 2022, but slightly off the Q1 operating margin of 5.2%. What's going on? Well, same-store retail comparable sales declined 4.3%, and surprisingly, same-store digital comparable sales declined 10.5%. Well, same-store retail comparable sales declined 4.3%, And surprisingly, same-store digital comparable sales declined 10.5%. Make no mistake, Target is decelerating in this economy. It reminds me of the performance of the major shipping carriers right now, declining volumes. It seems to me like Target has stopped chasing the discounters altogether and volume is suffering as a result. They have taken the UPS approach to this recession in that they plan to be here for the long term and are willing to trade revenue and traffic but not margin. The big worry with this kind of approach is this does Target end up trading market share long-term? I think the answer may be yes. Another data point that tells the story is gross margin rose year-over-year from 21% to 27%. At this point, you can call Target the anti-discounter. In the long-term, I don't worry about Target necessarily. It's still a fantastic retailer and its merchandising team did not get dumber in the last six months. That said, They are steadily losing share and who knows how long consumers will keep trading down to off price and how long this interest rate and inflation-driven economic environment will persist. Who knows indeed? As far as the rest of 2023, Target expects a mid-single-digit decline in comparable sales for the rest of the year, which means that Target thinks that share declines will not accelerate. This logic is a little puzzling, but mid-single digits does have a potentially wide range. Target's results right now are highly sensitive to food and beverage and essentials inflation. If this accelerates even more, Target and many other retailers could miss by an even wider margin than they predict currently. 
A few other tidbits from the release. Target's few positives included drive-up and same-day business, which grew 4% and 7% respectively. During the first five months of the year, Target stores saw a 120% increase in theft incidents involving violence or threats of violence. All of this adds up to not so good for Target and look out for Walmart, guys. Our third story. Amazon announces the return of Seller Fulfilled Prime. Amazon has announced new pricing for their Amazon Seller Fulfilled Prime offering. There are a lot of mixed feelings going on here. But first, what's Seller Fulfilled Prime? Well, in the time machine of Amazon third-party marketplace, first there was no such thing as Prime or FBA. Everything was Seller Fulfilled. FBA, or Fulfillment by Amazon, was introduced by in 2006 to improve the customer experience for buyers and allow Amazon to pocket some coin by allowing sellers to use Amazon Logistics. Sellers using Amazon FBA were able to take advantage of the Prime badge, which itself launched in early 2005. For years, the only way for sellers to get the Prime badge was FBA. That is, until 2015, when Amazon introduced something called Seller Fulfilled Prime essentially allowing sellers who met certain criteria and approvals to earn the Prime badge, but still ship on their own without Amazon facilities and trucks. That program was paused a few years back. Now, Amazon has released information about the upcoming relaunch of Seller Fulfilled Prime on October 1st, 2023. While I am happy to see the program return, I am unhappy to see the 2% fee. And my general take on this huge fee is this. Prime is increasingly expensive real estate. Rents are high and getting higher on Amazon. And Amazon Buy With Prime charges 3% of sellers for access to Prime customers as part of the pricing. And I think Amazon learned something from that, i.e. the value of the Prime badge from the Amazon Buy With Prime pricing exercise. Look, a lot of sellers do still sell and succeed on Amazon without Prime. However, for a competitive listing, a Prime listing will be prioritized in the buy box. Another thing I hear consistently from conversations is how unprofitable Amazon's FBA business is. And so although that's not part of this news, I don't expect FBA price increases to slow down anytime soon. For sellers, diversification is in order. The lowest hanging fruit for the average Amazon seller is Walmart Marketplace, followed by their direct-to-consumer website. Here are some questions I have about the announcements and its implications for Seller Fulfilled Prime. First, Will Amazon allow Seller Fulfilled Prime with Buy With Prime? Second, shipments that are too expensive or bulky for or whatever to ship on Amazon FBA are now more likely to drop out of Prime, period. Perhaps incrementally, you will pay that 2% fee for some items, which gives Amazon upside. Under what situations will sellers decide their ROI is there? If it will put them over the edge in winning the buy box? Is this new seller-fulfilled prime pricing just a form of decoy effect pricing to push more sellers into FBA, which doesn't have this percentage fee? I fear the trend of rising rents on Amazon, and if you thought the rents were high before, it's not abating anytime soon. And our last story, how I reached 50,000 LinkedIn followers. Well, Watsonians, I reached a milestone recently on LinkedIn. 50,000 followers, and I thought I would spend a little bit of time illuminating how I got here to begin with. Basically, it's just been a matter of learning, following the numbers, finding your voice, and then brute persistence. After I got laid off from my last job, I started my consulting business. 
In order to learn how to do marketing, I really just kind of started blogging. Well, in case you didn't know, no one visits any new blog, like ever. So I started posting the blogs to LinkedIn and Twitter. It was pretty simple for me to realize that 90% of the traffic was coming from LinkedIn and 10% from Twitter. I decided to more or less ignore Twitter, which who knows if that is a bad plan, but I have a generally dim view of Twitter or X as it's termed now. If you're ever curious about how you would think about LinkedIn, think of LinkedIn as the very top of your marketing funnel. A follower or connection doesn't count for anything on its own. They're essentially worthless. However, those followers allow you to say something interesting and attract new business. I think of it as much the same way as I think about my email list with one big difference. I don't own these LinkedIn followers, but I can message to them even though I am renting them from LinkedIn. Overall, I found that trust beats consistency and consistency beats message. Ultimately, if people don't trust what you have to say, the rest doesn't matter. What you say needs to communicate trust. If you're consistent, you will eventually learn what to do and as a result, improve your message and you will learn what to write about. My advice is to stick to what you know and focus on trying to add something interesting to the conversation rather than trying to know it all. I did find that finding your voice on social media took me about six months. Most people don't find their voice on social media because of consistency. It takes practice and time. It is scary to post something where your friends at the companies you're posting about might find offensive. Ultimately, when I'm posting something, I do try a few tests and questions. Can the audience learn something from this? Would I have liked to learn this earlier in my career? What are people in the industry thinking about but are afraid to say? Is the intention of your feedback to tear down or to guide improvement? Do I have something unique or different to say about this issue? Do I have a bias here? And is it apparent to both me and the audience? I really do fail at this often, but these are the questions I think about when I post something. A corollary of this, stick to your expertise. When you find yourself overreaching your expertise, you risk your credibility. When I started posting in 2019, I had about 2,500 connections and thought LinkedIn was basically an online resume site. After a few months, I saw it as the future of B2B marketing and doubled down on it. And for over a year, I actually posted twice every business day. Eventually, I settled into every business day posting something that I saw interesting in the industry. I gained actually about 1,000 followers a month. And four years later, that's how you end up over 50,000 followers. I have a strategy that a patient turtle would be proud of, and it works just fine for me. I do have some unique assets that help me, but of course, you still need practice. I've always enjoyed speaking and writing, and I have for most of my life. I was on the debate team in high school and continued that through college. I thought about going to law school, but decided computer science was much more fun for me. And I really, I never lost my love for writing. In terms of consistency, I really think that comes from urgency. What's the most popular question I get about my LinkedIn? How do you post every day? And do you have a team? The short story is I post like my business depends on it because it actually does. And every day I simply type in the white box on LinkedIn. I don't schedule any posts like ever. If you don't have urgency and purpose around what you're doing, you aren't going to do it consistently. Hey, Watsonians, this is Rick. If you haven't joined other listeners in our online community, you're only getting half the value from this podcast. Our community contains members from all around the world discussing the most interesting topics we cover on the show. Last week, 
George Westcott posted about an experiment where Amazon is removing review counts on its search results page. You can join the conversation now at community.rmwcommerce.com. Now a word from our sponsor, Commerce Tools. When a multi-billion dollar beauty brand's e-commerce platform neared the end of its life, the entire business was at risk, including the ability to serve customers. By switching to Commerce Tools and embracing a more flexible mock architecture, the retailer's vision for connecting in-store and personalized shopping experiences became a reality. The brand can now roll out new features within days, securing its position as a modern brand that uses technology to its advantage. If you're being held hostage by your technology platform and your developers have thrown up their hands, tell them to start a free trial at commercetools.com today. It's that time, friends, for our Investor Minute. We have six items on the menu today. First, business intelligence platform Coral Data raises seed round. The seed round was raised from New York Angels and Corral Data is using the expansion to announce a number of new employees. Corral Data claims they have an AI-powered business intelligence platform. Second, Miracle raises a 100 million pound revolving credit line to finance new acquisitions. Miracle has been a standout performer in the marketplace arena for some time now. And if I had to guess, would be interested in making acquisitions in order to continue to expand its product set. Even though 100 million euros is a lot of money, it's likely this means it won't be making any huge acquisitions like an e-commerce platform. Instead, the acquisitions are likely to be more targeted. Third, logistics provider Rider creates new technology lab. Rider's new technology lab will be located in Silicon Valley. The company's goal is to invest in companies that are able to help Rider reduce the waste in trucking, or as my friend David Glick likes to say, fill trucks fuller. Fourth, Incrementality and marketing measurement platform House raises $17 million. House's CEO, or HAUS, was leading marketing measurement initiatives at Google and says that enterprises have a lot of trouble separating the signal from the noise in their marketing efforts. Most of the fundraising will be used for data and technology hiring. Fifth, ChargeFlow, an e-commerce chargeback fighting solution, raises $11 million. ChargeFlow is based in Israel and has raised a new $11 million seed round, bringing its total fundraising to $14 million. The idea is to use AI to generate custom evidence to dispute chargebacks in real time for e-commerce merchants. Even though this is kind of a low-rent job for AI, it is an area that I think generative AI could be quite good at. And finally, customer data platform provider Simon Data raises $54 million Series D. I've seen a couple of Series D round raised recently, which actually tells me the IPO and large acquisitions market may be finally opening up as well. Simon Data does not just focus on the CDP itself, but also focuses on a set of business tools which allows customers to make sense of their data. That's all for this week. Till next time, Watsonians. Hi, I'm Rick Watson, CEO and founder of RMW Commerce Consulting and host of the Watson Weekly Podcast your essential e-commerce digest. Our production partner for the series is Citizen Racecar. The show is produced by Jose Baez. Production manager, Gabriela Montequin. To hear new episodes of the show every Monday morning, subscribe now at rmwcommerce.com slash Watson Weekly and wherever you get your podcasts.